0: Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Suter. I'm the founder and CEO of the Advanced Technology Academic Research, and this is the ATARC Federal IT Newscast. And today I have a very, very special guest um, who I've known a long time. It's going to be kind of a long, real long time, but uh, John Sullivan, who's Senior Technology Advisor to the Deputy Associate Administrator for Government-Wide Policy at the United States uh, General Services Administration. And we are here to discuss his pending retirement, which I'm really happy for you, John. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you, Tom.
0: And so I've known John a while, but I haven't known him as long as he's served in the federal government. It's He served 34 years as of December 31st, and he's actually been working for government off and on since it's something like 50 years, John, if I'm doing my math right. But uh, I'm happy to have you here today, but I kind of want to start at the beginning. Uh, you, what area of the country are you from and uh, what, what was your first couple of jobs? Because I thought that was kind of interesting in our, in our briefing.
1: Okay, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'm from uh, Guilford, Connecticut, one of the shoreline towns east of New Haven. I grew up in Connecticut and went on to the University of Connecticut. But before that, uh, while I was in high school, I was worked on a turkey farm. Anyone in Connecticut knows Gazi Turkey Farm. And uh, I, my job was catching turkeys and packaging them up to be, go to processing plants where they didn't have a good day. Uh, but that was, uh, and then the moment I turned 16, I was, luckily enough, I had a brother who was a mailman in my hometown post office. And I got an uh, internship, a stay-in-school program, which they're often called. Uh, in 1973, where I went to the post office and my job was to sort outgoing mail across the country. So I learned the zip code pattern around the country. It starts with zero in Maine and ends in nine uh, in Washington state. Uh, um, But that job itself was the first interplay with the impacts of technology. Because by 1973, they introduced sorting machines And my manual job of sorting outgoing mail no longer existed. All we did was throw it in a bundle and shipped it off to the sorting center. And interesting enough, those same sorting machines that were introduced in 1973 uh, became a, a 2020 election issue with the concern that the Postal Service was abandoning sorting machines. And I'm sure they're not the same generation I worked on then. Um, but, um, it was, it's the same, you know, I was first replaced by technology back in 1974, which is the year I graduated high school.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. The things that you remember, and I, it's taken a while. I, I did a lot of work with a postal service great institution. I, I'm sure that kind of led to you thinking about public service. So anyway, you get out of college. Um, what, what was your path to finding your first, uh, federal job?
1: Uh, well, I got out of college early at age 21, but I spent seven, eight years in the food and beverage industry, working hotels and restaurants up and down the uh, East Coast from Boston to Florida, and uh, including uh, a PGA stop in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, And that was fun, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, In the meantime, uh, I, I had a twin brother who, went to work for the IRS and in Connecticut, and they moved him to Washington, DC. So he, I followed him to DC. He had a job. Uh, I came here, I stayed in his house. I got a contract job with a contractor for Washington Gas doing home energy audits. And two years later in 89, I applied to a job at EPA and uh, they hired me. I was a cold hire. I knew nobody. I knew little about the agency. And uh, so as of 1989, I started working for EPA.
0: And uh, <clears throat> what did you, what was your first task there? What was the project that you worked on?
1: Uh, I was part of the Toxic Substance Control Act security team. Uh, and there was a, con- then we referred to it as confidential business information. Okay. EPA had been named in a suit. If everyone remembers the, Polaroid Instamatic Camera, and then Kodak came out with an alternative to the Polaroid one. And then there was a lawsuit between uh, Kodak, Polaroid against Kodak saying they copied their processing. And EPA was named in that lawsuit as possibly having leaked some of the processing information. So as a result of that, uh, and this is before I went there, there was a strong, uh, classif- confidential but Unclassified Information Program known as the TOSCA CBI program. Uh, my first job was doing uh, contractor background investigations because you had to have a clearance to work in the Confidential Business Information Center at EPA. Uh, and that led to uh, managing the information and led to uh, EPA as a regulatory agency. There are a lot of regulatory dockets and so it's very strict records management control, but the Tosca CBI Center was unique in, at the time, every piece of paper was barcoded and everyone that took it out, uh, was, there was check out and check in of every single document and you knew every single copy that was made because it was all tracked and documented. And that existed in the paper world Uh, And it was all interfaced with mainframe computers in the first place. Uh, But then when the advent of um, the desktops came in, uh, everything in that world changed because all of a sudden it was electronic records management. It was no longer about managing the paper process.
0: Yeah. So they were uh, about as efficient as they they could be with paperwork and tracking with the barcodes. It was weird how they're using technology. It's very interesting. So then you started to transition really into IT in the early nineties, right? What-
1: yes, yes. I, um, uh, from the toxics program and I did a few other things there, but I, I, I got into one of EPA's leadership development programs in 1994 or so. Uh, and I went to do a detail yep. with Mark Day. Uh, Mark Day had then just come from Missouri. It was uh, his first stop at EPA uh, before GSA. Uh, and he was leading the effort to create what was to become a CIO position at EPA. But it was an IRM division within the administrative uh, management office at, e- at EPA. And then we, we were implementing then Uh, some of the current Clinton administration programs around Quicksilver. And we were leading to beginning uh, as part of Al Gore's National Performance Review. uh, There was a startup of a one-stop reporting program where EPA ran a grant program where we would give to state environmental agencies uh, $50,000 grants to contribute toward them integrating their environmental information. And and so that started there uh, and transitioned into what became uh, an Office of Reinvention, which was a precursor to uh, the startup of the Office of Environmental Information at EPA. And that led to the beginning of the Environmental Information Exchange Network, which was ideally to create the Napster of Environmental Information, but it was at it's still in existence today, but it's about the sharing of environmental information between uh, APA, uh, state environmental agencies, uh, local and some uh, native sovereign nation, tribal agencies. And that, that was a startup of that. Uh, and that is where, and then, and then time came on and Kim Nelson came down from Pennsylvania an environmental agency and became the CIO of EPA. And that's when I met Kim. and. I uh, still have a, a good relationship with her today uh, and she's been quite an, an inspiration all along the way.
0: It seemed like you had a power pack team, Mark Day and early prime, uh, Kim Nelson. And uh, that sounds like you guys really had a, an A team back in the day. Uh, <clears throat> then you moved on to more on the higher level, the enterprise architect field as that was just getting going. Um, it seems it appears to me that it was starting to go in the 2000s tell a little about that in your transition to, to OMB okay.
1: well I work with the state agencies is what we would do is we'd go to the regional uh, EPA office across the country and we'd go first week with the regional folks and then we'd go meet with the state agencies and we'd stay do a semi several day visit to the states and we'd walk out with an information strategic plan uh, that the states could follow and use some of the grant money to, to build their information integration platform, which were really about architectures. Uh, and then, then it came back to what the EPA doing inside, and, and largely I'm the one who cried the loudest, what we need is an architecture, we need an architecture, and therefore I became the enterprise architect. Uh, and in, in 2000, uh, I, Stapled together a series of plans out of EPA, and we called it the EPA, the first EPA enterprise architecture, which we gave to Bill McVeigh, who at the time was at OMB, and uh, he loved it. And we, you know, we, that was our first effort into building. And from there, I built the next several years' architectures, which were more and more tighter integration of the technology plans, the infrastructure plans, the information plans and to the large extent possible, uh, the business services plans out of the agency. But that all grew and became uh, the EPA enterprise architecture. We were um, well known for having a good architecture and that's got the attention of OMB. And then as, uh, at this point under the E government days, uh, when we, and um, Karen Evans was leading the federal enterprise architecture work and she brought over Shemendra Paul, uh, to lead that, and I went to OMB to work for uh, uh running the Federal Enterprise Architecture Program. And then at this point, you're up to about 2008, uh, as Karen Evans was leaving and Vivek uh, Kundra was coming into uh, what is today the Office of the Federal CIO.
0: That's fantastic. So you had a good run. How long were you at the EPA in total? Uh, in total, 20 years at EPA. So what... Uh, did what prompted you to go in the office of government-wide policy was the fact you had worked with OMB. So that's a big move. You know, you did you think you were going to stay at EPA forever? Or well,
1: I when I went to OMB, the assumption was I'd be coming back to EPA. Uh, and then in dialogues with folks. While I was at OMB, not necessarily at OMB, but people, I met a broader network of people. And then the notion was, if you spend your whole career in one small agency, you're not seeing the big picture. So you need to run your horizon and go see the government from a different perspective. Uh, I was originally hired by GSA to be the enterprise architect for the financial management line of business, as GSA was just setting up in 2009, the first... Uh, financial management line of business office a shared service which led to the shared service work and I was part of the team that was hired there uh, and that didn't stay long at GSA because in the meantime a lot of that was moved over to treasury uh, the OFit office uh, uh, led by uh, Beth Angerman and Adam Goldberg who uh, we still work with some degree, I still work with Adam today. And as you know, Beth became part of OGP in GSA before she went off in the commercial world.
0: Yeah, so what, what kind of, now you're like on the on the stage working on these policies. And that's where I've seen you shine, like collaborating with lots of different constituents. Uh, so that's where I, I pretty much have spent time with you. Uh, what are some of the initiatives that you worked in OGP um, you know, in the last 10, 11 years?
1: In OGP, I said, my work in OGP started the FMLB. Uh, Then I did a lot of geospatial analysis for small business consumption uh, for uh, the small business concerns at GSA. Uh, Moved into being a data management official, looking at the integration of data. And that led to, from the Environmental Information Exchange Network that EPA put together uh, with the state environmental agencies, Now, at the same time, NEAM, the National Information Exchange Model, is starting to get legs, uh, starting out of the law enforcement coming from 9-11 and starting to put together terrorism data and law enforcement data. But we started to build out a GSA, a government resources management domain, which is largely trying to standardize a lot of the common administrative data that's needed for administrative services, finance, HR. Uh, things of that nature, which then moved on and became part of the, the big lines of business. Uh, so I, I started doing that. And uh, and then we were working on building, uh, prototyping a shared service uh, service center. Uh, and a lot of those ideas that we put together, and I worked then for Dominic Sale, and we put those ideas together. And then in the meantime, then uh, Beth Angerman comes over and starts USSM at OGP and starts what is today, the, the shared service uh, central offices uh, that were built out of GSA. And, um, and so that all, you know, we did a lot of the startup work that became what they're now managing. And that's when I got rolled into the data center work and what be is now today, Thomson Tucci's uh, data center and cloud PMO. Uh, I did a lot of the initial work on that, and then I got involved in the Section 508 program. Yep. And since about 2014, I've been the advocate for those with disabilities, and the notion that you know, you know when you build for accessibility, you're making improvements better for everybody. And that's still a challenge, uh, which has only recently really uh, really come into its own under the diversity equity, inclusion, and accessibility movement. So it really, you start to see if, you know, if we don't create, if you want digital equity, you've got to have uh, accessible systems both for your federal workforce and those that we serve in the public.
0: And I think all that work that you did there, uh, I, that's how we came in contact quite a bit. I'd ask you questions from time to time. You were, my, you were the expert and you had that community together. And I think wherever we're going to get is really some of that foundational work that you did uh, is definitely going to be impactful. So thank you for all that. I know you worked with Terry. Terry was there beforehand, uh, but you really, I felt like you really brought the community and and you spoke at a lot of our events. So great work there. Um, Another, uh, as part of your cross-government work, I know that you are involved with a lot of associations. I know you do work with had done work with ACT-IAC, et cetera. But tell people what uh, GuyTech, because I've known you had another hat that I've known you from some a lot of the work you did. Just maybe a little bit of the history of GuyTech and your involvement would be would be fantastic.
1: Okay, uh, GuyTech is the Government IT Executive Council. Uh, it states dates back to the I believe the seventies uh, when data centers were new, and it started from the then federal uh, data center managers of, we got this new thing, what do we do? And let's learn from each other. Uh, And this council was started. uh, And I was invited to be a speaker at the 2003 GITEX uh, IPIC, Information Processing Interagency Conference in in Orlando by Linda Curriton, who was then with um, ATF. And, uh, and I was then presenting on the enterprise architecture work that we were doing at EPA. Uh, but that got me looking at you know these interagency uh, organizations, uh, industry, government organizations. And there's so many people to learn from. I mean, the first benefit was uh, on the federal side, I, I met a whole bunch of people who were dealing in the same business I was. We'd get an order to answer something from OMB or whoever. And I can have that dialogue, you know, off to the side. Uh, but meeting a lot of the industry people and understanding this, the side of uh, what it's like to provide these services to government has been instrumental to me. So I've been part of Guy Tech, I was part of GTRA. I've uh, certainly done a lot with ACT-IAC, uh, as well as, Tom, your your ATARC organization and the uh, Institute for Critical Infrastructure that Param yeah. Efetari is doing today. You know, I, I, I've been a part of all of that. The net result of that is I don't go anywhere in this space without running into 25 people I know and know pretty well. Yeah. And that is just, you know, the networking asset of that is, is just, it's really important because um, there are no new problems. We're all trying to solve the same things. And the answer is, you know, someone out there is doing something that you need to know about and while we don't have time to sit in other people's meetings all the time because then you don't do any work yourself but you can't bury your head and just do your work because the answers are out there and these these associations have helped me be able to you know cut to the chase and find people that are doing things that are important to me and i learned from them
0: yeah i i, I couldn't agree more uh, i think you did such a great job with with that, I remember that involvement. I learned a lot. And eventually we ended up uh, merging guytech and ATAR together. And that's definitely one of my biggest achievements. Um, I feel like one of the greatest things that we did together. Uh, so what are you most proud of your career? You've done a lot of different things. What are the things that stick out in any agency that, you know, that, that really stick out to you?
1: Well, I, I think. I think the work we did creating the Environmental Information Exchange Network and its preceding program, the one-stop reporting requirement, uh, we did a lot of good. It's still in existence today, you know, 20, 25 years later, uh, you know, and I think that's really important. The notion that from a citizen perspective, it's the government, and they don't blur the lines of which agency and which level of government federal, state, local. You go, you know, it has to work. The customer service experiences is dealing with all those together and getting out there. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I traveled to at least 50 different cities around the country, uh, maybe more. And number one, seeing that's where environmental protection really happens at the state and local level. You know it's not doesn't really happen here in Washington DC and uh so so I, I yeah you know, I think we did a lot of good there was work you know some you know the standards are kind of boring to some but you know the work we did at, at EPA to create the facility ID standard how do you have some common nomenclature for what's you know a thing at a place for a reason was our or the mantra of how do you identify something in an environmental sphere What's, you know, a building there today with an affiliated company was something in the past and there may have been some environmental damage under a different company name and a different building, but it's still there in the ground and you need to pay attention to it. So anyway, doing that kind of work, coming to that, sitting through some of the painful meetings, like trying to take 18 months to come up with a standard for postal code, which seems, you know, grueling, but it's important. Uh, and then that has that read into the Federal Geographic Data Committee and became a, GS, you know, merged together with a geospatial stand, standard for, for play, you know, a, an op, a thing at a place, you know, whether it's a point or polygon in terms of geospatial, you know, all that work comes together. I was part of the team that created Air, which was the original electronic reporting rule at EPA. Uh, and then we created Central Data Exchange. Uh, and um, those of you know that Connie Dwyer did a lot of work. And then in 2008, when the Recovery Act came in and there was a lot of work needed for sharing recovery money, you know, EPA's Central Data Exchange was the instrument, um, you know, that OMB picked up on because Lisa Slosher had been at EPA and then at OMB. And, you know, so we're able to leverage those things. And, you know, I've been a part of a lot of all that. Uh, more recently, you know, excuse me, at GSA, uh, certainly getting to understand the uh, the needs of the disability community and, okay. but, and not just accommodate, you know, making accommodations for them, but it's like the, the notion of if you develop for the edge, you benefit everyone. Right. Well, we all know that you know everyone uses sidewalk cutouts, which are designed for uh, those in wheelchairs. We all use them for bicycles, for baby strollers, for everything else. And you know, you know, they, they've really come. We all watch, you know, sports on a TV, you know, using closed captioning. I keep closed captioning on my TV all the time at home. But things that are designed to accommodate those with uh, you know unique needs. Uh, and, and the potential of technology when you start mixing together uh, wearable and lo- location services etc there's so much potential that will benefit everyone and so so my involvement in you know the section 508 program has really turned out to be a, a, a gem and my understanding of you know you see the impact of technology immediately with people
0: yeah no that's fantastic and what? Now that you've been doing this for a little bit, what tech trends have you seen that have had the greatest impact? Just a few of them. Well,
1: obviously the internet still changes everything and the ability to deliver digital services uh, for everything. Uh, And and I think that just starting in the federal space, but the notion that the that, that transition from doing your job and running websites yeah. uh, that you get to when you get around to it to know, this is your digital front door. We change the way we do customer service. So going back to the regulatory world, of permits and everything in the environmental and ag and energy world, you know, the ability of you know someone uh, you know at a plant to upload photos, and how that replaces the need for you know inspectors on the ground, or supplements the need for that. That kind of stuff is rapidly changing. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I see pro and con to AI. I'm not a big fan of bots, uh, but um, you know, but but I think you know the, the ability to bring together mobile technologies locational services, navigation services, wearable technologies uh, is where the future is. And, you know, we see, you know, and if we kind of get out of the way and let it happen, because our history in government is we say no to every new technology until the inertia takes over and we say, okay, but we'll set the rules for it. And so, so that's kind of the lesson for government is How do we learn to, you know, you know, be proactive about emerging technologies and really come in and say, yes, we can adopt these things rather than, "Nope, you can't have it. You can't have the internet. You can't have a laptop. You can't take your laptop home. God, you can't go to, can't use Facebook for work. You can't, you know, all those things we said no to, and we, eventually, we, we do when we make them work. So, so how do we not repeat that past behavior and look at new emerging AI, et cetera, to say, how can we really leverage this?
0: Yeah, that's a great point, John. That's why I started ATAR, so we can accelerate the inevitable. It's coming anyway, for sure, these new technologies. We might as well adopt them as fast as we can, a safe place we can. Fantastic. And then what are some of the superstars that you've met throughout your career? Just at, at each pit stop, just a couple of names. Just I, I know you mentioned a few people already, but it'd be great to, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Who are some of the people that really stuck out to you? Well, I... I...
1: Just chronologically, I go back to, you know, uh, Linda Travers and her influence inside EPA, uh, as she was then a division director in a toxic group that I first was was hired into. uh, And she became the principal deputy CIO and was heavily involved in a lot of the cross initiatives. Uh, Certainly, you know, I mentioned Kim Nelson, Uh, who who had a tour of duty as the CIO of of EPA, followed by Molly O'Neill. They're all very great inspirational people. Uh, A woman I've met, had been an EPA CIO, but not when I was there, is Ann Duncan. You know, current CIO over at Energy. I mean, I've really enjoyed getting to meet Ann and talk to her and get to know that and see her places there. And, I mentioned Mark, Uh, for those who, May know uh, Ed Hanley was certainly an inspirational person uh, at EPA, and that's who led a lot of this work um, uh, with the, the idea of the grant program and giving states, you know, free range of what they could do with their money. Not wasn't for a specific purpose, and and how to navigate politically uh, across administrations that was really important. Uh, and then I'd have to say, uh, certainly, um, you know. Uh, Dick Burke and, you know, and and Bob Holcomb, the first and second, uh, federal chief, uh, enterprise architect, uh, and, you know, and and Dick Burke was a a fabulous individual and, you know, I learned from him the ability to, to work the room and get people to do things and, and, and and have fun while you're doing it. Dick was all about fun. I hope he still is today where he's out there he's still around and, um, and then on the industry side, you know, the whole world knows Leslie Berry. And you know, and you, you know, you know and you want to understand everything that's going on with everybody, you go to Leslie because Leslie certainly knows that. Um, well, I will say there was a woman named Mary McCaffrey at EPA who was the ultimate preparer when you have senior level meetings, it's not just getting you ready for a meeting and moving on the calendar, but Understanding what the issues are what people are to come in what their issues are going to be, and how to synthesize that down to an executive level. There's nobody I ever met that was better at doing that mm-hmm. and being able to really prepare senior leadership for, um, you know, what really matters when you meet with people, and especially on the international stage, etc. There's been a lot of a lot of inspirational people. Um, I, you know, I have to um you know look to um you know look at you know I, I work for Dan Pomeroy, uh, you know, a great guy at, at GSA Today. And Dan's ability to um, understand in breadth and detail of all the programs underneath him is very inspirational. Uh you know, he comes in completely fluent with the details of many programs. And, and that's a hard thing to do. You know, the people that can cut through the chafe uh, and circumnavigate the chaos and still stay in control are the ones that I've learned from.
0: Yep, It's a great example of that. So what, what I, I mean, you've been, you're close for the end, real close to the end than the beginning, but I, I've just noticed you, you show up at our an event, you show up after hours. I mean, what drives you to take it this extra effort? What what makes you tick on that? Um, it's
1: largely where I understand the bigger context of what's going on, uh, and it it's valuable. A, I enjoy it. You know, I you know I'm a social creature. I like working with a lot of different people, uh, but. What I've seen is, you know, if you keep your head down and do your job, well, you may do a great job of it, but you're missing so much, and and that is, you know, and so it's the opportunity to connect and understand the tangential things that end up being really valuable to you, and that's my big concern about this fully digital world is you know we got to find a way to recreate that in a virtual existence because um you know that may that's going to be difficult to do
0: yeah we're talking about that now that may be another another whole interview on just on that uh what 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 are some of your passions outside of work well i um you know i've certainly
1: had a diverse path of exercise uh i was an avid runner for 30 years uh nothing was better than getting downtown and running to having the the National Mall but your daily run, and I'd be out there at 6, 6.30 in the morning as the wow. sun came up. That was incredible. Uh, that unfortunately, um, I can't do anymore. And, uh, and I'd probably replace that. Um, I, you know, I'm an advocate of yoga and hot yoga, and I, I, I do that. And uh, and I've worked with, um, you know, I, I still do some environmental work, a local level. Uh, but I, you know, I suppose, you know, stay tuned, because we'll see what happens in retirement. Uh, and I'll have more time to, to do more personal things. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, causes
0: and, uh,
1: you know, going back and doing some work for nonprofits.
0: Right. And um, anything about your family? I know you were talking before you want to spend more time with with your family and uh, have a little more time. Uh, any plans for trips or anything?
1: Not yet. I, I was an advocate of, I'm not going to leave the federal government until I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I've been thinking that for the last several years, and I um, come to the conclusion, I just don't have time to do that now. And, uh, and you know, and making plans will probably change. So my plan is to do nothing, uh, be prepared to find some new, interesting opportunity and go chase it. Uh, and if that requires living somewhere differently, i you know, you know, this is the furthest I've ever lived from the ocean, but it's now, you know, I've lived here longer than anywhere else. Uh, so I may drift back towards the coastline. Uh, I, you know, I'm not gonna go somewhere I have no connection to. It has to be, pro- you know, a reason to be somewhere or people. I spent a number of years after college in Boston. I love Boston, but it's too cold. Uh, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't miss winters in Boston. Uh, but so uh, that starts with, um, you know, just the logistics of, you know, you know, I want to be able to proactively move and change our location. Uh, my partner and I are both now will be, you know, will be retired and. Um, the world's out there to go do something. Um, I, I don't want to stay here forever just out of inertia and that I, you know, I never get the gumption up to to move.
0: Right. Well, do nothing is actually a plan. I like that. I like that. Now you've deferred it all. You're going to tie up all your loose ends at work, and then you can just figure figure it out. Fantastic, John. This has been a pleasure. Um, Thank you. We'll, we'll be in touch, I'm sure. But thank you so much for all the federal service and uh, that you've had and uh, the influence you've had from me. I mean, you've been definitely one of my mentors and uh, just happy to have the opportunity to do this interview. Thank you thank so you, much pal. for your time.
1: I appreciate I appreciate you offering this to me. Thank you.